1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 152 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Melicia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Valerie Koo. How are you going? Cool. What's happening in Gina world? (laughs) Oh, my God. Um,
2: I get the feeling that uh, summer is on the way and I know it's in the middle of winter, but like it's it's starting to thaw and the days are getting longer and the light is changing. And I think as um, photographers, it's really important to notice the lights. I've been just noticing how the light changes and I've been out there and just... Ooh, loving it, loving the shift here. And Val, mm. I got a new coat for my bike, so I've been out back on Stella.
1: Oh, is it keeping you warm? Yes, so it's uh, so
2: everything is warm uh, except for my hands and my face. And Ooh. a lovely listener, and I'm now going to forget his name, sent me a link to some um, heated gloves that heated. I think I'm going
1: to buy. Yeah. How do they get heated, like, with electricity
2: Uh, (laughs) or hot water? (laughs) So, James Hughes, thank you for that link. Um, They're battery-heated gloves. Oh, how bizarre. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like so the other day I was out on a fairly uh, longish ride and and towards the end I'm like, oh, my God, I cannot feel my hands and my face is so cold. So I kind of need a a balaclava and if I had one of those and the heated hand warmers, I think I'd be good.
1: Do you actually have gloves already? Yeah, I've
2: got gloves. I had uh, had. Yeah, gloves that go inside the gloves, so like microfiber
1: gloves, and then leather gloves on top of
2: that, but not enough, oh, Val, because the really? wind
1: just yeah. You should it's move cold. to Sydney. It's warmer here. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but yeah. I love Melbourne, Val. I do. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and well, oh, Val, yes. my new favourite show. Oh yeah, Handmaid's Tale. Oh, the Handmaid's
1: Tale.
2: Handmaid's Tale. Oh, it's so right. beautifully shot. Oh my God, I just have to stop. There's another amazing still. There's another amazing still. It's just beautiful. But, the life. I
1: thought you colors. didn't like harrowing
2: it shows. Oh, it's so depressing that you kind of need, like, I have to go and watch reality TV for a couple of episodes after I've watched <laughs> it. It's that depressing, yeah. you know? But so I think I could do it. beautiful
1: okay I have a new show
2: yeah what's your new show
1: Ozark O-Z-A-R-K Ozark and it's starring Jason Bateman and Laura Linney and it's uh, it's uh, on netflix and uh so i'm only up to episode three because i've just been really busy lately but otherwise i know i'm gonna once i get over my hump uh i'm going to binge watch the rest because it's so good this and by the way everyone this podcast is not about <laughs> television or about riding motorbikes. It's actually about photography. So, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's uh, Gina and my opportunity to catch up on all things that have been happening in our lives. But we will try to stick a little bit more to photography.
3: Yeah. Yes. And, in
1: fact, this week, very exciting, uh, we are going to be speaking to a pretty awesome photographer who mm. I am so incredibly jealous of I cannot even comprehend what he is, um, the opportunities that he has had in his photographic career because he photographs rock stars, presidents, A-list celebs, sporting legends, all sorts of different types of um, high-profile people. But for me, the one closest to my heart (laughs) is that he (laughs) photographs Bon Jovi. Who, you know, let's face it, this is like, in my mind, the best band of all time. I I love their music. I've loved them for decades. I've been to so many concerts. I've been to concerts with you, Gina. Yeah, um, three or four, I, I think. Yes, I've been... Um, Fortunate enough to interview them, and uh, but yeah, he gets to hang out with them all the time. But mm. uh, we, we'll 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 come to David. I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of his. Oh, um, it's a great interview. Yeah, out of out of his interview. In then in the meantime, I want to uh, give a shout out to the new course that's about to be released: Master the Magic of Manual Mode and Get Off Auto Forever. And that's Gina's new course. It's fantastic. I know I've been going on about it, but, um, I love, I truly, truly love it. I still have, I've definitely got off auto forever and it's because of this course. Cause obviously I went through the course with Gina as she was making it. And I learned so much myself. Today I was doing shots earlier this morning and I was just I just had Gina's principles running through my head and I was not even tempted to go back to auto because I just get such a better result when I when I bother to do it uh you know um using manual mode. Now even though I say when I bother to do it using manual mode, I've now got to the stage where it's 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 not a bother. It's actually just my go to default and um, it's it's something that would not have happened without this course. So make sure that you register your interest because emails are going out very soon and for people who register their interest, you will receive a special link that allows you to purchase the course at a huge never-to-be-repeated discount. So um, you register your interest by going to GinaMilitia.com slash manual. That's Gina Militia.com slash manual. And of course, Militia is spelled M-I-L-I-C-I-A. So register your interest now. It is awesome. And of course, you can check it out and see whether it's right for you, but I guarantee that you won't regret it. All right, let's move on. Mm. Oh, my God. So exciting. (laughs) So jealous you got to interview David. Yes. Tell us about David.
2: So I first um, stumbled across David's work when I saw one of the images that he had taken of uh, President Obama's first inaugural speech. And what he did, which was amazing, was he took a gigapan image of that uh, speech. Now, Val, have you ever done a a panoramic shot where you maybe you might have done one with your iPhone where you take several photos and stitch them together so you get that whole panorama of a. a, you've done that right so you understand the technology so it's basically you take an image you pan around you take another shot you pan around you take another shot so that's how we get those amazing panoramas of uh, you know landscapes and things like that so that's the technology but this is using that very basic description that I just gave you and put it on steroids so what he did was when he got the Gig to photograph President Obama in 2009. He had uh, uh, this uh, special, uh, like, uh, piece of equipment called uh, a Gigapan that he used, and basically it allows him it to take over 220 photos of an image and stitch the whole image together. And what you get is uh, an image that's like, you know, one and a half, 1,500 like megapixels in size, right? Wow. So it's massive. And so you can like, you know, President Obama in the image is tiny, and you can go to davidbergman.net if you want to have a look at this, and, like, you can zoom in and pan around and, like, find yourself in the scene, Right? If you were there, yeah, if you right. be there. If you weren't there you could be looking for a long time, you'd never find yourself. But <laughs> you know, you think? it's like where am I? Why you said I'd be in this photo and I'm not. Right? So so, you know, he 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 like was became really well known for, for, for doing this image. It was sh- shared um, millions and millions, thirty million times uh, around the world when he when he when he shared it. So he used this technology at the Olympics as well. And uh, Valerie, he when I was speaking to uh, after I finished interviewing him, I was telling him how you and I had been to uh, several of the Bon Jovi shows uh, in <laughs> Melbourne and Sydney, and he's like, oh, and I'm like, oh yeah, we were up the front in the I think the last one we went to, yeah. right? Yeah, And um, he said, oh, I we did a gigapanda. That I might see if I can find you in the um, in the image there at the show. Oh. So like, you know, mm. but, but it's that good that you can uh, zoom in. So we briefly, briefly touched on that in the interview, but I didn't go into it in great detail. So that's why I thought because – Here's the thing, David Bergman is so amazing that he's done this amazing thing. But there were so many other things that I wanted to talk to him about that I didn't even get to uh, talk to him, talking to him about the uh, the Gigapan images. But just imagine that. And he's got this special software that stitches it all together, and it can line up. You know, if you've got a, a head that's moved slightly, it'll work it out and uh, bring it all together. Just so
1: cool, so cool. If he needs to know, it was Sunday the 8th of December. Oh
2: my god, <laughs> how do you know that?
1: <laughs> because <laughs> so if he needs to look oh, up his file okay. Sunday the 8th of so December. So,
2: <laughs> this is why when uh, I did the interview. I made sure you weren't around because <laughs> I know that the entire interview would, but so what did, um, look get back to, yeah, that's great, that photo, but get back to Bon Derby. What, what, what was he wearing on that Sunday, the 8th? Was, was, was it the, the light colored grey jeans? Did he have his
1: vest on? And, uh, which no, no, you, you know that asked, I can turn on the professionalism. Be, I don't, I think you would have lost uh, you, that. No, you know I can. I've I've done it before.
2: Some of the other amazing things that David has done, Valerie, is he's uh, had 13 Sports Illustrated covers, which is pretty amazing. 13? Yeah, I know. That's pretty cool. And uh, he's also, uh, if you check out uh, Adorama TV, he's a host and co-producer of Two Minute Tips, and these uh, little segments that he does are awesome, so worth uh, checking out. He's also – his images have been published – like have have a listen to this for some some serious name dropping here. His images have been published in Rolling Stone, Time, Newsweek, People, Entertainment Weekly (sighs) and like USA Today today, New York Times. I mean, he's also – hang on. There's more. But wait, there's more. (laughs) I know. He's covered five (laughs) Olympic Games, 11 Super Bowls, multiple World Series games, NBA playoffs. Like, you know, if you're into sport, this will be quite exciting. And uh, he's also a Canon Explorer of Light, which is a a pretty big deal. And so much other amazing stuff. And of course, he is the official photographer of Bon Jovi's uh, <laughs> when they tour. So, like, which is probably, you know, you would have put that first bell,
1: right? And, yet, duh. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes with a set of steak knives as well. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: uh, lots to, uh, lots to uh, talk to him about. And uh, yes, yeah, sh- shall we check it out?
1: Absolutely. Let's have a listen to David Bergman. David Bergman, g'day. How are you going?
3: Hey, Gina. How are you? Good. I'm
2: so excited to be talking to you today. Thanks for giving us the time to have a chat.
3: My pleasure. It's fun to talk to you from the other side of the world. Yeah. So where in the world are you right now? I am at home in New York City, right in the middle of Manhattan. Right, and it's uh, middle of summer there, right? (laughs) Middle of summer. It is quite hot out right now, and I imagine you're uh, probably freezing, right? I am.
2: I'm freezing. (laughs) (laughs) It's very cold. And so uh, everyone clears out in New York in in July, don't they? It's it's like...
3: it gets a little quiet. So those of us that are here, uh, it's, it can be a bit brutal in the subways and with all the concrete around, it gets it gets a little toasty. But, uh, you know, it's still New York City, so you can't oh, beat it.
2: It's uh, one of my favorite cities in the world. It Like, you know, when you get to New York, you, it has a pulse. You feel it. Like, it's alive. It's like no other place in the world. I really love it there. It's a very cool place that you live. Uh, another very cool thing that you have, David, your, your bio, uh, your short bio, on all your social media, music and sport photographer, Canon Explorer of Light, Bon Jovi tour photographer, 13 Sports Illustrated covers, and the Obama inauguration, GigaPan. I mean, that's uh, a pretty cool way to uh, describe yourself. Um, yeah, you know, when you put it all together like that, it sounds pretty good. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds nice. Uh, now, um, I uh, was reading uh, Annie Leibovitz's book, Work. In in that book, she uh, tells a story about being a photographer for the rolling stones and uh there's a really great quote in there where she says uh she talks about Mick Jagger and she says Mick is very shrewd he seems to understand the documentation of a band is important he kept all these costumes from the tools and he always had a photographer like the president or the queen has a photographer now um you work with John Bon Jovi on the tour. You're the tour photographer, and he has a, a great respect photography, for photography and sees sees the value in documenting his shows. Like, can you can you talk about that? Because it's like I, I think that it's an amazing thing to uh, have someone like John Bon Jovi, and before him, you know, Mick Jagger obviously saw the importance of that. But like, you've been documenting uh, the Bon Jovi tour for how long now?
3: Yeah, I started with them in 2010 so about seven years now seven years and, and, and
2: it's like it, it, it's, it's access all areas every show, like everything
3: is photographed, is that right? Yeah, John once told me when I, when I first started out and I wasn't quite sure how far I could push it and, you know, you don't want to overstep your bounds. Um, yeah. he, he After a little while, maybe a, a month or so having worked with him, he came out of his dressing room one time and he said, look, there are three people who can come into my dressing room unannounced and you're one of them. So uh, I took that as a cue to say, all right, I'm just going to do my thing. And it really – it's been so fun for me because it, it harkens back to my days as a photojournalist where yeah. nobody really tells me what to do. I mean I'm just documenting everything that's going on and then we can decide later what we're going to use and how we're going to use it. But – if you don't have somebody there to document it, then you don't have the choice. You, exactly. can't, you can't make that decision later if you didn't shoot it. So you just got to hopefully find people to work with. I mean, I've been fortunate that just as you said, John is one of those guys who understands the value in documenting it. I mean, he knows he has a, a, a crazy life and it's, it's something that, that people can only – most people can only dream of living a life like that. And – He's an inspirational figure, and the band is inspirational. And they uh, it's really important to and inspirational to document those, Moments in the band's life, and he, he gets it. He just I'm lucky that he's one of the ones that gets it.
2: Yeah, well, we'll we'll, we'll dive into that a little more deeply l- later in the interview. But what I want to touch on first, it's like okay, so uh, everything you've done in your life has, has led you to this point, obviously. And I can I can see uh, in your work history uh, that like you can see how like almost you can follow where you've been before. To like well, everything you've done has exactly. Led you, given you all the experience to get you to this point. So um you you actually studied music production and engineering at, at Berkeley. So like is that how you got into uh ending up photographing the Yeah, when I was
3: when I was in school, I mean I was sure that I was gonna be in the music industry somehow. Right. I, I I never really wanted to perform for a living. I played drums and a little bit of piano and and percussion and and I you know I was I guess I was smart enough, or maybe I just wasn't good enough to be an actual working drummer. But, right. but I, but I love the the business, and I enjoy being around musicians, and I like the environment. I used to go when I was at the Berklee College of Music as a freshman in yeah. college. I used to go, or you call it university, excuse yeah. me. We, um, <laughs> we, I used to go down into the studios and just hang around. I was an 18 year old kid, yeah. and they were producing all kinds of albums and jingles and anything, and I would just bug people to let me come in and sit in on the sessions, and I really enjoyed it. I just liked being in that environment. So I knew I was going to be in the music business. I thought I was going to be a producer. That's really where I was headed um, when I started uh, going to uh, university. But then I kind of uh, transferred back to a different college, my hometown, the University of Miami, where I stumbled into the school newspaper and just picked up a camera. I, I had a camera, but I didn't really know an aperture from a shutter speed and started shooting for them. And then it wasn't really until years later that I was able to combine those passions yeah. and, you know, work in the music business as a photographer. And, and you're right. I mean, I, I everything I've done sort of has led me down that road. And I, I always wanted a tour. I always liked being around that um, scene and in that environment. And it was definitely a big goal of mine. And when I went freelance, um, it was number one on my list was to get out on a tour with somebody. So uh, it, that's definitely where I was putting my energy.
2: Yeah, it must be very cool to be like a, a massive fan. Of music to be like in a position that you're in where you like you you're there like you d- there are images that I've seen where you're like on stage with the band and and also like as a fan of the music do you find yourself at times where you just like enjoying the show as well and you kind of have to
3: stop yourself and go take photos yeah I mean there are moments there there have been so many of those kinds of moments where um something unexpected happens or or even just even just something that happens every day and I I've definitely gotten to that point where I can put down my camera for a minute and just say this is insane like who gets to do this you know um I mean I've had I've been at sound checks and rehearsals where literally I'm the only person there. I'm getting a private concert from some of the biggest bands in the world. And yet I've also been in scenes where it's just a small jazz band that I'm working with or, or something like that and and i'm standing there next to the trombone player and they're playing a song that i love and yeah. and you know i'm 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 sort of have i have the camera up to my face under the guise of the fact that i'm working <laughs> but in reality sometimes i'm just trying to take it in and i i do try to you know not be jaded by it and and appreciate every moment of every day where you know like i said who gets to do this I, i'm so fortunate that i get to to do these kinds of things, and and I, I try to appreciate it every time that it happens.
2: Yeah, well, that well, that's something that's uh, really beautiful that I see coming through in uh, a lot of the other interviews that you've done. Where the passion is still there. Like you, you think that, like uh, that after all this time, you would be a bit jaded. Oh yeah, I'm just getting on another jet, going to a <laughs> concert, it's another day in the life. But you, you don't. seem at all jaded. You you just seem. Um,
3: like you're loving it <laughs> still, yeah. which is great. And, and, and really, uh, you know, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff is great. And, yeah, being on the jet, the private jet, and, of course, all that is amazing. But really it's about the music and it's about the show. And, and all of us on the crew and any given tour are there to support the artists and to make – make the you know, help the fans have a better time. So yep. they're, they're – you know, when people ask me sometimes about a song like "Living in a Prayer," "Living on a Prayer," want Dead or Alive," like, "How can you? You know, is it? Do you like hearing the same song every night over and over?" And let me tell you, there's such an energy yeah. in the room when live music is happening. Like I said, whether it's in a small jazz club or in a stadium with a hundred thousand people, there's such an energy that just never gets old. There's even if it's the same music every night, it just that, 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 that excitement and that energy never goes away. So I I love every second of it.
2: Well, I think that energy is so important because that's something that uh, I see in your shots. You put that in the shots. You can You can feel through your photography that you are a fan of the music and you are loving it. So... How did you get from Berkeley uh, College of Music to the University of Miami, where, where you studied photography? How, how, like, did you just say, "Well, I, I want to try this now"? What 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 was the catalyst for that?
3: Yeah, you know, I like I said, I always had a camera, but I never really took it seriously and didn't certainly didn't know this was back in the late eighties, right? Mm-hmm. So we were shooting like film, and and I, you know, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I transferred back to the University of Miami for a, a number of reasons, most of which I've forgotten at this point because it was so long ago but yeah. um you know i think i had a girlfriend in miami and you know there were a few others so but like, I, but let's, in, let's just go I, back to
2: miami in the <laughs> late 80s okay let's just paint the picture so that's the time of miami vice so <laughs> right. were you getting around in did you have the blazer and did you put <laughs> you the, uh, a pastel colored blazer and you pushed up the sleeves right well, Were you not, digging that, not, that sort not, of get up and did you have the gels up here
3: Let's not pull out any pictures from that period of time. I'm just going to leave it at that. But uh, but I um I you know I was born and raised in Miami, so it was actually back to my hometown. So yeah. I I think in hindsight uh, Berkeley was an is an amazing school and still is. And but it's it's very narrow focused. And I don't right. I think that in hindsight I wasn't 100 percent sure that that's where I wanted to go and wanted to block out all other options. I mean, I was 18, 19 years old. So you know, the University of Miami was a bit more of a general education and I was a music major at first. But then, like I said, I, I, I knew I wanted to get involved in some extracurricular activity. And I, there was this one fateful day in my life where I went to both the school newspaper and the school radio station and figured I would do Mm. one or the other, but probably not both. And The radio station, I just – I don't know. I just didn't click for whatever reason. And then the the, uh, newspaper, the photo editor gave me a roll of film and told me to go out and shoot that weekend and come back on Tuesday and he'd show me how to process the film. And if there was anything he liked, he would give me an assignment. So sure enough, I followed up with him and he must have saw something he liked and he gave me an assignment. And the next semester, I I became his assistant. I was the assistant photo editor and then the photo editor and the editor-in-chief of the yearbook and on and on and on. So that's where it really – really took off for me. And and that second semester after I was a music major, I was working for the paper every day. And some of the photojournalism students, which I didn't know photojournalism was even a thing. you know, <laughs> yeah. Some of the other students who were working at the paper said, hey, you should go over there. Like they, the professors know who you are because they see your work in the paper. But but nobody's seen you. Nobody has any clue, you know, what you're doing. Right. So I, I stumbled over there, and and they said you should be a photo major. So uh, sure enough, I changed majors and started photojournalism, and that was that was the uh, the fork in the road right there. I sold my drums and I bought uh, lenses. <laughs> Interesting.
2: I, I had a very yeah. uh, similar career path. Like uh, no I really. started as a, a ceramics major at, at uni. I always thought that that's what I was going to do, and then I noticed the uh, photography. Students on the fourth floor, and uh, I thought, you know what, I might, uh, I might switch majors to photography. I thought it would be a good backup for when I travelled to have that skill. Right. So that's why I got into it, and then uh, you know, from there, I, I, I managed to uh, build a career out of it. So, like, you know, it will it, a happy accident. I don't know, but it's like you know, yeah. sometimes it's there, and 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 you went for it. So, how did you go from uh, working? for the university paper to getting a gig at the Miami Herald how how did that happen
3: yeah, so I uh, – after school, I was starting to work – actually, while I was still in university, I was starting to work for the local wire services. I think it was uh, the UPI, United Press International, that that approached me. I'm sure in hindsight they were just looking for inexpensive labor. Yeah. But uh, you know they went to the college kids and you know were looking for people to cover local events. So I started covering um, NBA basketball for them. We, right. we had the new basketball team. The Miami Heat was brand new back then. And I started covering them for uh, UPI pretty regularly. And then I sort of outgrew that, and they, they suggested I go to the Associated Press, and I became a, a stringer at the AP. And I did that for a couple of years, and then the Miami Herald was the biggest game in town. I mean it was the big yeah. paper and, and pretty much the biggest paper in the state at the time. And you know I, I met the photographers because you're at all the same assignments yeah. and – you know, it's pretty, pretty um, common story. You Just you start schmoozing, and you, yeah. you see the same people over and over. And sure enough, I started working, freelancing for them. And it took a couple of years, but I, I uh, pushed and prodded and begged my way in. And finally, they, uh, they, they said, "Okay, shut up. We'll give you a job." already. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so you obviously, uh, like in that sort of situation, you've got the uh, the old boys that have been doing it for a long time. Did you, did you have any mentors that were like that? You were w- like like, Like, I can just imagine you as a a young kid there on the sidelines going, okay, so when you're doing that, what what are your settings? Were you you asking all those kinds of questions? Were you you showing them
3: work um, to get critiques? Is that that what you were doing? So so here's the thing. I mean, you remember back in the film days. Yep. We all had dark rooms in yep. the same office. Yep. So you didn't you didn't go out and shoot and then transmit from home. You right. had to go back into the office. So not only did we have was I surrounded by literally Pulitzer Prize winning photographers right. who I mean, I shared a dark room with two photographers, Carl Juice and Pat Farrell. Pat is a Pulitzer Prize winner. Wow. And Carl should be, you know, if he's not already. But uh, I mean I was surrounded by these guys every day. So you go in and you make a print and you come out and you're surrounded by these people. Yeah. So you, I ask a lot of questions and yeah. I, I don't shut up. So the other thing is I, – and I and I think I lament this a little bit. I don't want to be one of those old guys hey, back in the old days, but <laughs> – I'm going to be for a second because one of the things that I think is gone is we had a team of photo editors, a very talented photo editors. Yep. And I had to come back from an assignment with my two or three rolls of film and process the film and then bring it out to an editor. Now, yep. he stood – he or she stood in the middle of the newsroom and we had this um, system where it was like a TV screen that it wasn't projection but it was – you know, it would show the image. The negatives would be um, you know reversed into positives and we could see them on the TV screen yeah. and they would go through the film very quickly. Quickly, And they would say, this stinks. This stinks. Why did you bother <laughs> shooting this? And, you know, why did you do that? Why didn't you go around to the other side? And You should have done this. You should have. Done that. Oh, that one's OK. All right. This one stinks. This one stinks. You know, and that process of getting torn apart every Tough day in the, in the newsroom. Absolutely. But you need that. You have to have that. You have to get critiqued from yes. somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. And this was every day. And sure enough, the next day you had to do it better and you had to try harder. And we had three to five assignments a day, every day, five days a week. So that was an incredible experience. And, and, you know, you, you, they'd pick one picture and you'd go and you'd print it and you'd come back and the print wasn't any good and you had to do it again. And, you know, that process just happened over and over again for years. And I, you know, I, it's a little sad these days that, that, People in that same industry now, you know, they go and they shoot and they transmit from home or from on location on a cell phone, and you know the editors at the office might be hating it, but you never know because they have to publish it anyway. So right. um, you don't get that feedback anymore, which I think is a shame, and I think has hurt quite a bit. But you know that's just the way it is today. So, uh, so that was a big growing sprint for me. That was I did that job throughout most of my twenties, and it really you know put hair on my chest oh because- yeah for sure I was not only did I have that tough love in the office, and and you know was able to ask questions of these amazing other photographers, but I also had to get out in the community. And I had to. I was maybe a bit of a shy kid growing up. Right. I was raised in a sheltered, you know, middle class home, and and all of a sudden now I have to go into the the tough neighborhoods, and I have mm. to go in the in the billionaires row, and I have to go to all these places and go into people's houses and make portraits of of people. And my job is to make them. Comfortable, you know. Right. <laughs> so, so those that period of time I think was really important to my development as a photographer. Now, having worked at a newspaper and doing that for so many years, I feel like I can go into any situation and make a picture. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe maybe I'm overconfident, but but you know sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. But I still feel like, you know, I I mean I've covered natural disasters, I've covered riots, I've covered you know done portraits of millionaires. Yeah. So, it, it you just in that world you have to do a little bit of everything and I think that was a great experience for me at that time in my life
2: oh for sure and so like you you know you you spent that 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 entire like your formative years as well like you don't really know who you are in your 20s and it's like for a start you're getting um shreds torn off you by these editors how did you like did you at any time feel like well this is too hard I'm I'm never gonna be as good as these guys and and feel like walking away or or what was it that was in you that said, you know what, I'm just going to keep going because I'll, I'll get good?
3: Yeah, I mean, I've always enjoyed doing the work. I think that's, you know, they say do what you love and the money will follow, right? Yeah, I, I've yeah. I always enjoyed being there and being at the events. And, you know, I was covering a lot of sports back then, and, and I got to cover Super Bowls and Olympics and all these major events. And, and even in the community, Working at a big paper like the Miami Hero brought some some clout and some cachet with it. So right. I loved being able to go into an event and and generally people were wanted you there and wanted to help you make pictures and and I just en- I always enjoyed it. So. Yeah, certainly the beginning look I was I was not disciplined and I you know I'm sure had many days where they wanted to they were you know not I didn't I don't know if they thought I would make it through but right. uh, but I think you turn the corner at some point and you decide to grow up and yeah. and um and just do what you've gotta to do to get through the tough times and sure enough it, it pays off in the end.
2: So it's like it seems like a natural progression to go from Miami Herald to contributing photographer at Sports Illustrated. Like how like tell me about that first break that you got with, with working for Sports Illustrated. What what, what was yeah, that day a, like?
3: It's... It's actually a funny story. So I, I like I said, when I was at the paper, I had developed into kind of the sports, chief sports photographer role, even though that wasn't my official title. Um, and so when you cover sports and when you travel, you certainly meet all of the national traveling sports photographers and a lot of the editors at the events like the Olympics and the Super Bowls and World Series. And so I knew a lot of the Sports Illustrated photographers and the director of photography. And, and so uh, the next step was, in 2001, I was going moving to New York City, decided right. that I had enough of Miami and it was time to go be the small fish in the big pond. So I – Uh, Maybe six months before that, I was in New York covering a game. It was a Miami Dolphins game. We were in New York, and I was covering a football game. And the day before, I contacted the director of photography of Sports Illustrated, and I said, Hey, you know, and we knew each other. And I said, I'm going to be in town. I'm, you know, I'd love to come see you. He said, Yeah, sure, come on in. So it was a Sunday evening. And I'll never forget this. I, I went in and just the fact that I'm sitting now in an office with the director of photography of Sports Illustrated, <laughs> and we're just having a nice chat. And I told him I was thinking about moving to New York and, you know, I didn't expect him to give me any work on the spot, but right. I just wanted him to know and get some advice. And he said, oh, you know, the managing editor of SI at the time uh, knows who you are. He knows your work from the Herald. He's oh. from Miami and he knows. her So we go down to his office. Now I'm in the office <laughs> with the managing editor and the director of photography and the World Series is on TV, right? Oh my it's good it's a New York series Yankees Mets and I'm not a big baseball guy although I've covered plenty of baseball yeah. and but it's a huge event, and the three of us are sitting in this office in this <laughs> gleaming tower in the middle of New York City watching the World Series. And, oh. and it was just one of those surreal moments. And, and what happened was uh, I had been shooting digital for about three or four, maybe five years at that wow, time. Wow, you got I was in really early. Looking.
2: So, like, 97, was, you started digital. Yeah. What camera were yeah. you
3: using then? What was, you, what yeah. was the first? So the first one I ever used. I was lucky that the Herald um, was interested in it, and I was the first full-time guy in the Miami office to shoot digital. I literally stopped shooting film altogether. But I I, even before that, I was beta testing some of the early cameras. I remember I wish I could remember model numbers, but I had one that was uh, it was literally a giant clunking camera and it was tethered, tethered to a hard drive that you wore in a backpack. I You're mean, this must shooting. have been March 5, And I remember trying to cover and it was like one frame every five seconds or it was a tiny little, tiny little part of the frame that you could shoot. It was just masked off a little bit and in the viewfinder. And I remember trying to cover a heat, um, <laughs> Miami Heat, Chicago Bulls playoff game with Michael Jordan and trying to cover this with this horrible, you know, early digital camera, but we had film guys there also as a backup, but, um, you know, for the paper, but it was, it was, you know, I was definitely an early adopter and I was the kid on the staff. So I, nobody wanted to touch this technology because it was, it was not good at the time. And I was like, I'll do it. I'm the guy. So. (laughs) Sure enough, they then when we when we started to go full time, it was uh, I was the first one in the Miami office. So so now I'm sitting at the Herald and the Herald. Uh, excuse me, at Sports Illustrated. They're still shooting Chrome, right? They're still right. shooting slide film at the time. So this slide, was for- not training? You shot all the sport on slide film. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So. Uh, uh, And then, yeah, you know, on on positive film. And then Mm -hmm. they uh, were interested in digital, but they didn't really know anything about it. So these two guys started asking me about it, right? (laughs) And all of a sudden, now I'm the expert, right? So I told them everything I knew, and we had a lot of talks about it and talked about how to maybe work it into the magazine's workflow if it was going to be possible, and, and we weren't sure. But the end of the story is when I moved to New York in February of 2001, a few months later, they said, well, look. Um the first event that I photographed for them, they wanted me to go to the Daytona 500, the big NASCAR right. race in Florida. And I, I don't know anything about NASCAR. I've, I'd covered a few <laughs> races in my life, but that was about it. So – but they said go shoot film. We have a bunch of our regular photographers there. But shoot film on Sunday. And then Monday is the magazine's deadline. So and normally they don't cover anything on Monday. Basically eh. if it if it's a Super Bowl, they would hire a, a jet to fly the film back on Monday. But that was about it. Right. For most events, they just didn't cover anything on, on Monday. And what they said was cover it on Sunday and then also take some digital stuff. They bought a whole bunch of new digital stuff. Take it, and if anything happens, like if there's a rain delay or something and it goes to Monday, you can shoot it on Monday. Okay, no problem. I never thought anything would happen, of course. So I shot on Sunday as best I could for whatever I could do for NASCAR. And then sure enough, unfortunately, there was a huge event. I don't know if it means anything to you out there, but Dale Earnhardt, who was a big NASCAR guy, uh, was killed on the final lap of that race. He died in that race. It was horrible. It's terrible. But I didn't have – Any pictures of that? I happen to have a picture of him getting in the car right before the race, which was just dumb luck. But that was on film. film. And then all the film SI guys left, right? They covered the race and they left. So Monday – I'm by myself. I go to the track with my digital cameras, and sure enough, people are putting flowers at the track. And it was a big story. I'm the only one there with a digital camera. So I shot it as best I could. I drove down the street to a little hotel and I plugged into the phone line, and I probably transmitted like three JPEGs. I mean, that was all you could get out back then. And sure enough, it got in the magazine. And they were for the moon. They couldn't believe that from something I shot at two o'clock on Monday, you know, within an hour was in the office <laughs> yeah. and they published it in the magazine. So it's unfortunate obviously that it was because of that incident, but mm. they were so happy that then they started having me go to a lot of different events with the digitals. Everybody else was still shooting film and then I was the digital guy. And then during the week in between the events, mm. they also asked me to go work with all of their staff photographers and teach them how to shoot digital because wow. this guy said – touch digital in their lives. So now all of a sudden you talk about at the Herald and those, those photographers. Well, now all of a sudden I'm training yeah. the sports illustrated, <laughs> the legendary sports illustrated <laughs> photographers, how to use a computer, how to shoot the digital cameras. Like, you know, many of these guys are, are older and they had, didn't have computers at the time. So, uh, So that was amazing because I went to their houses and then we would go shoot an event together and I got to sit and stand right next to them as we were shooting a game and learn from them. And then they looked at me to teach them how to use the digital stuff. So there was about a two-year period there at the beginning where I got to work with all of those legendary photographers. And then on the weekend, I would shoot events with the digital cameras and some film also. And for the magazine, and then I sort of ingratiated myself in with them. And by the time everybody was up to speed with the digital, I was just one of the guys at that point. And they would would just send me to shoot the events. And they didn't even – I was freelance, but they wouldn't even – they didn't even ask me if I was available. They would just call and say, here's your assignment. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) What a great story. Kind of an unusual way in the door there, and I certainly didn't plan it that way, but uh, it was just this perfect storm of events that all came together at once.
2: And you're developing all these beautiful relationships as well because, you know, you're at night, you're at their houses teaching – so Photoshop (laughs) – uh, you're you're learning it as you go as well. Like Absolutely. it's all this great learning curve, and and it's not like today where you could go online and Google anything. You like the trial and error, right? Sure. This was
3: two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah. There was there was nothing like that. Mm.
2: Oh, <laughs> that's such a cool story. So yeah. you're shooting sport, and like when I look at sport, and I'm not a big sport photographer at all, but when I look at sport and compare it to music. It seems to me to be very similar like you know you're working in often low lighting situations uh the, the, the you know the bright lights and dark areas and all of that so it kind of feels like a similar vibe so did it feel like a, a natural transition for you to then um get into music photography and and how did that first happen how how do you get the gig as uh, John Bon Jovi's uh, tour photographer. How does that happen?
3: Yeah, well, first of all, you're right. They are very similar disciplines. And um, I I think that's why it was such a natural transition for me because um, exactly like you said, it is sort of changing light conditions. Um, It also is... Confined in one area. So mm-hmm. you, you can plan a little bit. You kind of know what you're getting into. I brought a lot of my sports experience to the concert stage where things like remote cameras, which right. people at that time had not done in a concert setting. But I had, I was very comfortable setting up remotes yep. at basketball games and at, and at hockey games and, and other things like that. So I, you know, said as long as I have the access and can get a camera on the stage, why why wouldn't I try that? And nobody had ever seen that before. So um you know, I I did carry a lot of that over. Um, as far as how I got the gig, it's funny because everybody wants a, a story like, oh, John saw my work and Sports <laughs> Illustrated and he you know pulled me out of oblivion. And it, unfortunately, it doesn't happen like that, right? So uh, I always wanted to, like I said earlier, tour, and I I wanted to be in that environment and at the, especially at that level. Hmm. But I started small, so I. I actually developed a, a business to because I had to figure out okay why would in today's world why would a band bring a photographer on the road I mean back in the old days you know in the Annie Leibowitz days right when when she was with the Stones yeah. they a lot of times. A lot of bands, even the smaller bands, did just bring a photographer out because they wanted to do it. Right? It right. was sometimes it was ego, sometimes it was um, you know just the documentation aspect of it. But these days, with budgets being what they are, and the world run by you know publicists and and on social media and all that, it 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 really um, there has to be value in it. There has to be a reason for the band to do it besides just um, ego. So. Right. Uh, so I created a business to make myself more valuable to a band and I – that business is tourphotographer.com is the, the website and what we do is we sell prints from the show. Right. So you go to the show and then the next day you can go online and see 10, 12 or 15 hopefully really nice gallery quality images from the show that you are at and you can – buy a print, frame it and hang it on your wall. So that was one piece of what I did to make myself more um, valuable to the artist. So I started small. I started with some small bands, some friends of mine, some other musicians I knew. And I said, Hey, just, just bring me out. We'll make money together. You know, you don't have to pay me. We'll make some money from the print sales and we'll go from there and we'll see how it, how it goes. And it built up pretty nicely. Um, at the same time, any other work in the music business that I could get, whether it was portraits or album covers or, you know, any of those kinds of things that I could do, I was doing at the same time and developing my contacts and, and, but I knew I wanted to get to that next level with those stadium bands. Right. Right. So I, um, I worked really hard and I, you know, talk to a lot of people and I, it was years and years and years. And I, uh, the biggest one before Bon Jovi was a band called Barenaked Ladies. They're a Canadian band who, right. um, those guys are, were so much fun. And I toured on and off with them for about five years and they were playing arenas and, and it was a big tour. We had like six or eight tour buses and, and that was a blast. Uh, but then you know, I, but at the same time, I was pitching every band I possibly could. Right. I was. I contacted the Stones and the Who and Coldplay right. and Madonna and everybody that I could, and sure enough, it took me literally uh, two or three years. But I finally got a meeting with Bon Jovi's management. Excellent. And, and that night, I started shooting for them. That so night, it, once, so you did the interview yeah.
2: and you're shooting for them that night. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Actually, the.
3: Yeah, it it kind of ties in. I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about the uh the Gigapan, but uh they it was funny because I um I was pitching them on doing one thing and then we started talking about doing something else and and it kind of went off on a on a tangent, but you know, I brought with me with me a skill a unique skill set that maybe they hadn't seen before. Right. And sure enough that night I wound up doing one of those GigaPan images for them and and they loved it so much that that then they brought me on to do some more and it it developed from there. So first I was just doing a few shows here and there and then more and more shows and then I started doing more traditional tour photography and and it just built up and up and then eventually they moved me in to uh, travel with the band and do what I'm doing now.
2: Fantastic. And uh, hopefully we'll get time to uh, talk about the GigaPan at the the end of this interview but I just want to go back to... um, shooting uh with the uh John Bon Jovi band. Um it, there's a great article uh, uh in Digital Photo Pro that you did where you describe a, a, like a day in a life on tour with John Bon Jovi. And like it's nuts. <laughs> I'm reading <laughs> this and sense. it's like it's crazy. It's crazy. Like you, you your day starts like early, like like you're up at nine AM which People that that's not early, but, like, you, you are working all day, right, shooting about yep. 4,000 images, is that correct, right? Yep, yep. And uh, you're finishing at around 1 p.m. And after everybody goes to bed, then you're up editing uh, all your images, right? And, like, yep. and you do this – how many days in a row like when you're on tour how many days in a row are you working like cuz if i do uh i've done big big gigs like that where it might be 2 3 days in a row after that i'm a dribbling mess on the floor <laughs> and it's like you know you're so the, the adrenaline rush that you get cuz you like you're so hyped up like how do you do it? How do you do it for a sustained uh, a period of time without like
3: burning out? It's funny because I, I kind of uh, set myself up uh, this way by accident because when I was first working for the band, I was traveling with the crew and the crew were on tour buses. Usually there's about 80 to a hundred crew members and the band travels separately. There's about a dozen people that travel on the private plane. So, I was with the crew, so I would shoot the shows and, and a little bit backstage maybe, and then the band would leave, and they usually go to the next city, whereas yeah. the band has to load uh, – the crew has to load out and then take the buses and all that. So uh, what would happen was I would edit usually the next day. I would take my time. I didn't see the band at all, so I, right. I could take my time and edit. And then the following day, there maybe there would be another show. And so at the venue, I would see John, and we would go over the pictures. Now, John, you talk about um, – you know Mick Jagger being meticulous and and being in control of everything. John is the same way. Right. He he every picture that goes out he personally approves. And even after seven years, he still wants to see everything. And he he just it's his name on the marquee, and Fantastic. he he wants yeah. to know everything that's going on, which I really appreciate. Yeah. So. Uh, So I would see him at the next show and I would show him the pictures and we would go through it and that was it. So then when he moved me to start traveling with the band, the first day I did that, I shot the show and then the next day we flew at like noon, right? (laughs) And I I get on the plane and he says, hey, where are the pictures? And I was like (laughs) – Oh, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, give me a few hours. Right? I mean basically the next time I saw him, he expected to see photos wow. because that's what I had – that's what yep. the precedent I had set. So I learned real quick. I can't mess around. And and I mean there's a practical reason too because if you get behind one show, then you're yeah. screwed. Because yeah. then it would just be 8,000, 10,000 images. So, so I know that I have to edit basically before – i fall asleep. So so if the band is awake I'm taking pictures. I'm with them whether it's a – we're at dinner or we're at a show or whatever it is. I have a camera and I'm working and that's why I'm there. Uh, so then the only time I really have to edit is when they go to sleep. So um, so it's usually a race in my own mind if I can finish editing before I pass out in front of the laptop. But uh, – because that's happened many times where I just <laughs> keel over and, you know, with my – in the morning the, 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 the keyboard is plastered uh, on <laughs> <the floor. laughs> You get the indentation. Yeah on your face. Exactly. So,
2: exactly. Uh, like, I also read that you, you edit using Aperture and Photo Mechanic. Is that still the case? Have you, have you switched over to Capture
3: One yet? You know, <laughs> I am going to use Aperture until they pry it out of my cold, <laughs> oh, dead hands. Really? I, you know, I love that program. I was on the uh, Aperture Advisory Board when they first developed that software for Apple, so um, I've just always been a big fan. I like it. I'm comfortable in it. I like the way the images look. I know that I'm going to have to switch because Apple is no longer developing it, mm. but at least as of right now, July 2017, it's still working on the latest um, OS. Yep. So I'm going to hold out as long as I can. Well, but fair uh, enough. Yeah. Um, but I've always used, even with Aperture, I've always used photo Mechanic. I used photo mechanic back in the newspaper days when we were yeah. at version one or whatever it was. And I've had conversations with the the software engineers and, and it's a they're a great company and they've been making that program for a very, very long time. And and there's no better and I have no, you know, financial connection with them, but there is no better program to quickly go through yep. thousands of photos. It really is so it, whether I'm using Capture One or Aperture or Lightroom or whatever it is, I don't want to bring Four thousand images into that raw conversion yes. software. Yeah, I'm o- I only bring from a show from a show day. I might bring in forty or fifty photos. And yeah, that's so
2: you'll it. cull four thousand down to forty um basically so just uh let's go back to when you're shooting through the day Uh, is it just you do you have assistants that are loading your files or is it you running back to a
3: computer it's all me
2: okay (laughs) so just just your file protocol on the day uh so what's the biggest card you'll shoot to uh
3: these days i've got 128 gig cards whoa so you'll have uh you'll fill that up no, usually not. I, yeah. I, don't, I, I actually can't remember the last time I had to change a card, so that's kind of nice. Right, so you'll stay on the one cards. card
2: through the whole show.
3: Yeah, but I've got multiple cameras, so okay. I'll handhold two cameras. I've got usually at least one remote, maybe two, so each one will have a card in it. But, uh, and then I usually have – most of them have dual slots, so I'll usually have it backing up at the same time. Okay, so great. I, uh, so I've got a backup. So
2: you're protected. So um, you pretty much uh, – because you've come from the film days, I don't imagine you're chimping <laughs> as you uh, as you shoot. You're not going, oh, did I get that? Is that sharp? You pretty much know yeah, you've got the shot, little. right? You're backing yourself. I mean
3: I'll I'll check what I what I usually tell people is you know check it at the very beginning make yep. sure your exposure is on but then lock it in and then just shoot you know yep. don't be, you know turn off that automatic display thing because that's it's so distracting and yep. you miss everything that's happening in front of you so yeah maybe that is a holdover from the film days but but absolutely that's how i shoot
2: and so you as you're shooting uh are there moments in the show or on on a job like at a sporting event where you just like you see the shot you go that's an amazing it's going to be an amazing shot you'll go back and look (laughs) for it when you're downloading because you can remember it is it is it like that
3: yeah, I mean I'll tr- I'll try to do that but it's, you know, sometimes you're just so wrapped up in everything that yeah, I mean if something crazy happens I'll be curious, oh did I nail it? Did I get it? You know, yep. you zoom in, you check focus and yep. and that's it. But I but you know, usually there's just not enough time to do that. So I just dump everything and then just start going through it. I mean, the remote camera alone might have 1500, 2000 frames and those are brutal to look through because 99% of those are going to be crap. So Yeah. You- so that that's like the first hour is just doing that so I just want to get through that as fast as I can so um, so I, I usually don't take too much time now. It also depends if I'm alone or if there's people around me a lot of times I would start to dump my cards to the computer on the plane and if I'm surrounded by not necessarily the band but even just you know like John's brother is his security guard or right. you know the chiro- this this chiropractor or the manager somebody who might be near me and maybe I shot a picture of them during the show and of course they want to see it right away so that's <laughs> the only time usually I'll stop during an edit to, yeah. to- to pull out a particular frame. But even then I don't I won't send it to them because no, no no let me tone it up. I have to you know to work <laughs> you don't want to give them the rules. <laughs> exactly.
2: All right, so just going back to your um, relationship with John Bon Jovi, there's another quote, uh, Can you tell I love it? Annie Libowitz from her workbook where she talks about this uh, relationship with Mick and on that tour and she says, I was always aware of where Mick was. What might have seemed like a nuisance to him became a sort source of comfort. To know that I was somewhere nearby, it was a subject photographer relationship of an obsessive kind. So she talks about that special relationship that they have. Now uh, – after all these years uh, working with John Bon Jovi, you, you must have that, uh, like a, a, a similar kind of. It, it's almost like it becomes like a, a very close friendship or a marriage where you could probably tell by the way he's standing. What kind of mood he's in, or what he's about to do? Uh, is it like that after you've worked with? some I mean, I know from my experience that when you know, if you've worked with someone for a very long time, you can just tell. You just know that, like, you'll shoot from this side, or he's going to do this now. Is it? Is it kind? Of, does it become intuitive after a while?
3: Absolutely. There's no question that when you we work with somebody that closely for a long period of time, um, yeah, we can be in a room and I can just. You know, even without making eye contact, I can see the way he's standing, I can see the tone, you know, I can hear the tone in his voice. I, I, I know him well enough that most of the time, sometimes he'll surprise me, but most of the time, I, I yeah, I can read his mood even on stage. You know, yep. he he knows how to work a crowd and he's he's one of the best front men in the business, yes. but but you know, the band knows him very well, obviously, yes. and way better than I do. But I, I'm at that point where I can read those signals as well. And I, you know, well, there's a few of us that'll know exactly what, what he's thinking and what's going on. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's just part of, of the, the job, right? I, I've always said this gig is, is not only about making great images. I mean, hopefully anybody who does this job has to do that, but, um, it's knowing when to be in the room and when not to be in the room, right? I, I'm privy to, you know, a level of access that very few people get, and I he, he might be meeting with, uh, you know, as a senator or a president mm. or, you know, an, a, a football coach or you know very high profile powerful people, and a lot of times I'm the only other person in the room, yeah. I have to know when it's uncomfortable and when it's yep. time for me to go, and I also have to know, even if it's uncomfortable, that I have to be there for some reason, right? Right, so, right, right. You know, and, and he is also he knows it too. So I'm only in there when I know that he's okay with me being there for the most part. You know, there was I did photograph him uh, having surgery, right? I was in the hospital room oh, with him what? while he was under anesthesia. He had surgery on his knee, and you know, like a week ahead of time, I was like, John, you know, we're at dinner one night. I said, Look, you know what I'm going to ask. I have to be in the, in, the, in the operating room when you're having surgery. And, you know, we didn't think we'd ever publish those images. But, you know, basically he said, Well, if it's okay with the hospital, then it's okay with me. Well, of course, then we call the hospital and say, Mr. Bon Jovi would like his photographer. And they say, Okay, <laughs> so they're not going to say no to that, right? So, uh, yeah, so you know, I've been and and again, that was a moment where he's under anesthesia and unconscious and it's me and his doctor, we're the only wow. ones in the room. And that was that was a bit crazy for for, you know, a few hours there I was like, "God forbid something happens. Like I'm yeah. the last guy to see oh him." Right? My God. So, uh thankfully everything was fine and it was all good. But um But yeah, we're definitely at that point where he he knows I'm gonna you know the door will open and I'll come walk in and you know sometimes he'll give me jokingly roll his eyes oh yeah here he comes again right but (laughs) but but he knows why I'm there and and I'm working for him so it's it's all good it's it's really fun when you get to that point with a subject where you can just come and go and not. uh, you know, and really be a fly on the wall, you know, in a way that is not normally possible without that long-term yeah. uh, relationship.
2: And just on the other side of that, there there are a lot of other celebrity um, portraits that you've also shot where you don't have that time to develop a relationship where you might be uh, shooting, and they give you. 30 seconds (laughs) right right, yeah and so how is that different like uh, there's a number of uh images on your website davidbergman.net where you've got like whoopi goldberg and steven tyler and like you, you know and and like you've just met them and yeah. uh, you capture a side of them they're like they're they're beautiful portraits as well. Um. So thank you. Ha- that that moment where they say, "Okay, I'll do the shot," and and you know, obviously you've you've pre set up for that that you, you're ready to go. You just want to bring them onto the set, but you've got what, twenty seconds to connect as as you're walking, getting them onto the set. What 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 are you doing? What are you saying? How are you? Uh, like trying to connect in that, that that short amount of time.
3: Yeah, I think most of my career has been that kind of work. I mean, you don't normally get years and years with a yeah. with a one you know celebrity to, to do that. So I think it goes back to what we were saying when the news in the newspaper days mm. where I learned that you have to be able to connect with people very quickly. Mm. And it and it can't be fake. I mean, there's no way no. to to fake that because especially with celebrities and even with CEOs and other, you know, quote important people who don't have a lot of time. And don't really want to have their picture taken, but they know that they have to. Um, you have to be able to loosen people up and make people comfortable very quickly. And and you have to be able to read people because everybody reacts to something different, right? Mm-hmm. Some, some people might enjoy – um, you know, having a conversation about uh, the market or or golf, whereas others I can just be an idiot and dance around like a monkey, and right. that's going to make them laugh, right? And you have to be able to figure that out really quickly, yep. which one of those is going to work? Because if you jump around like a monkey and you know <laughs> it doesn't work, that's the end of that. So, um, I think it's just from. I mean I hate to say it but years of experience yes. with it yes. yes. I mean photographers we do have to be somewhat of a psychologist and mm. and be able to understand and read people very quickly because you're going you just get a few seconds sometimes and and first impressions mean everything and they have to know that you know what you're doing and there's got to be mutual respect there but you also have to loosen them up and keep them occupied, and not have them thinking about you know those that celebrity shoot that you're talking about. I literally had to convince those A-list celebrities to come down the hallway and sit in my portrait booth, which of course was ready you know pre-lit. Yeah. And I found that very simple. I didn't want to do any colored gels or anything sort of tricky to to make the images better than they mm. than they. Were. I just wanted to capture the face and the essence of these people as best I could. Now, a celebrity like that, they've posed a million times. They know which side of their face looks better. They know their smile. looks. So I didn't want to do exactly the same photo that everybody else has done. And I think in some cases I succeeded and some I didn't. But as I had that walk down the hallway to my – my room, I had maybe, you know, 20 or 30 seconds and I had to figure out very quickly, you know, what's going to work on them and just make conversation. And then by the time they got there, I told them I needed them for a minute. And usually I was done in 30 seconds. And yeah. I think they appreciated that as well. If you, if you can end early, they, uh, you know, and, and feel confident, you know, and sound confident and know, they think you know what you're doing then uh, everybody's happy so uh, i think it uh, is i think that confidence is so
2: important and 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 that confidence comes with shooting a lot of people so um i think that like for the photographers that are starting out it's just like do the work
3: you know, yeah. shoot, yeah. shoot, it just shoot, takes time. shoot. I, I get emails from young photographers all the time, you know, who say, I, I want to do what you do yeah. and and how do I do it? And, and I'm, you know, I, I don't discourage people. I, I try to help whenever I can, but at the same time, a lot of it is just experience. It's just going to take time. There's no, you know, we live in a world now where you can, if you want to know how to do something, you can watch a YouTube video and it'll tell you how to do it. Um, some of this just You just need to put in the time, and it just takes, it could take years and years, you know, certainly you could do it faster than I, than I have. But, um, but that kind of experience in dealing with people comes more naturally to some people than it does to others. Uh, and if you're not comfortable with people, then you should should shoot still lifes, you know, know, (laughs) and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It can be a really good business, but, uh, but if you enjoy, I enjoy, I'm a social person. I like being around people. I like talking to people. I like learning about people. I'm a curious person. So I, I find asking people about themselves and about things, you know, that certainly uh, is one way that I that I can get through to people. And it's just fun for me, too. So yeah, yeah. it's, a, it's- went all the way around
2: well you can hear that you can hear just how how much you uh love doing what you do um i i could talk to you for hours and hours david but (laughs) at some point i've got to wrap up um there are like so many amazing images i think like the other thing that i love i really love about your work is not only are you getting like the big you know stadium specky images and amazing shots of you know athletes doing amazing things but then you come in and you create these really beautiful intimate little still lives that tell the story just as well and there's a few like there's a shot uh uh uh, that i i actually found on your instagram feed of uh tico uh um wrapping his um thumb with with tape yep. uh and so is, is is he the uh he's the drummer right of the, the band? drummer, yeah yeah yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. and, words, and yeah. um that 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 image to me is just just says so much you know like the, these hands have like played so many gigs and like here he is wrapping them up and there's something so beautiful about hands i love hand shots as well and there's another one um that you photographed of uh obama's hands uh, after he's uh, holding a ball and he, a close up of, uh, baseballs where Baseball, he signs yeah. them. And, uh, you know. It's beautiful because there's enough in the image to see, you, you see the hand, and then you see the signature, and you see the ball, and, and it's like that. That in itself tells a story, and for you to be able to like, you can see the uh, the newspaper background. I think coming through uh, the photojournalist in you coming through in these images. So again, I say like everything that you've done in your life. You know that shot of Obama. How long did it take you to get? Well. You know, five seconds really, it's a five second shot, but it actually took you
3: what 20 years to get that <laughs> exactly. shot, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's beautiful. I, it's thank you for saying that. I mean, I, I've there have been many times where I'm say, for example, I'm standing in John Bunjow's dressing room and I'm making an image that maybe it's not that technically hard to make, right? I'm not lighting it, I'm just, just so happens I'm in. At the dressing room one of the biggest rock stars of the world and I and I'm just and it's an amazing moment just because of what it is and I I it's easy to be critical of myself to say, well, anybody standing here with this camera and this lens could make this picture. I'm not doing anything really interesting with this scene, but then the other, you know, the, the devil and the angel on my shoulder, the other side says, yeah, but it's taken me 25 years to be the guy standing in this dressing room. So nobody else is here. I'm the only one here. So I, I try to not take that for granted. And, and, and yeah, I, I, I like to shoot details. I like to shoot those little moments whenever possible. And uh, yeah, thank you for saying that. It's very nice.
2: Um, And so uh, just before uh, we go, uh, you've got a a book, another, like there's how
3: many books have you done uh, with Bon Jovi? So this will be my third book. We had one that was sort of a, a, a giveaway, a VIP giveaway, and then mm. we had a big coffee table book a few years ago called Work. Yep. Also the same as book. I think Valerie's,
2: just, yeah. my, my co-host Valerie's, just bought that book. Uh, but I don't think she knows about this next book that's coming out. Uh, is that October this year? This house yeah, well, is not for sale. Is that one?
3: Yep. 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 We just announced it. it's the same name as the album and the tour. This house mm. is not for sale. And yeah, it's we've actually, I believe they've started pre-sales. So uh, so you. Can go on the band's website and, and pick that up, and it'll ship a little bit later in the year. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. That's going to be it's the same size as the workbook. It's a big, yeah. big, heavy coffee table book, and it's uh, this one's going to be a little bit different. I don't want to give too much away, but it's uh, I think uh, hopefully fans of the band and fans of photography will will enjoy it equally. Which is what I heard about the last book is that you didn't have to be a fan of the band to enjoy it, which is the highest compliment i can get
2: yeah no it's it's uh, it's amazing uh so um congratulations david on uh, an amazing career so far and i i can see you as being one of those photographers that's just going to probably keep shooting till you're 110 hopefully Absolutely. uh it'd hopefully. be great hope for all of us so um there's uh so much there on your website Uh, website davidbergman.net and you also like i love your two minute tips videos Uh, i've been watching them there's some great little gems i was uh, just watching one on how to get uh people to keep their eyes open and uh (laughs) you know how you use the torch to focus and uh there's there's some great tips there so you can and you're doing those for is that adorama
3: Yep. That's on Adorama's uh, YouTube channel, Adorama TV. And actually, you go to twominutetips.photo. We'll take you right there. Those have been fun. I've been doing those uh, for about a year and a half now, and we put out a new one every week. So uh, we're on number 70-something right now. Oh, God, that's amazing. Yeah, those have been really fun to do.
2: Okay, and there's like heaps of great stuff there uh, on the website. So, yeah, uh, everyone can check it out. So, yeah, David, thank you so much for joining us today. And, um, you know, hopefully, uh, like I didn't get to the – there was so much more I wanted to talk to you about. So maybe (laughs) I I can get you back on the show uh, at a later date and we can uh, talk about some other stuff down the track. That would be my pleasure.
3: Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.
1: Oh, wow, what an awesome chat just that's just what a life he's a pretty cool guy and he's
2: so like down to earth and just like really generous with his information um yeah i really really enjoyed our chat and of course could have gone on for another couple of hours just a really interesting cool amazing guy
1: i just love uh, this would come as no surprise to you but (laughs) i just love how he made contact and got in with the band with Bonnie. Bon jovi in the first yeah. place yeah. and that he just kept on pitching them because a lot yeah. of people would just give up after the first one or if you don't mm. hear back once but he kept on going and it obviously has paid off in spades and obviously all the, the past several years or you know decades i suppose i own so much bon jovi memorabilia and coffee table books and all that sort of stuff. So obviously I have seen the work of David for a long time but not really – kind of knowing who was behind the shots, So I am so thrilled about this episode. All right. Wow. Wow. Like wow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. We think that David was a treat in himself for you guys. Hope that you enjoy it. Do let us know on social media or um, connect with us via email. You can email news at GinaMilitia.com. Of course, all of the show notes you'll find at uh, GinaMilitia.com and I highly recommend that you sign up to Gina's fortnightly newsletter, which is an awesome resource, lots of tips that you don't get anywhere else, including Lightroom presets, free Lightroom presets that are only ever delivered to subscribers of Gina's newsletter and only within the newsletter itself. So make sure you sign up at GinaMilitia.com. In the meantime, Gina, where else can we find you online apart from your website, of course? <laughs> uh,
2: so I'm on Twitter at Gina Militia and Instagram and lots of uh, Lightroom tutorials on YouTube, Val. So at, at, at Gina Militia for that as well. I'm on Pinterest occasionally. Uh, I think that's about it. I'm also uh, in the Facebook group very late at night and through the, <laughs> yeah. what a distraction it is and how entertaining mm-hmm. and how much do I love that group. And. You'll also find me um, in the Gold Community uh, group, which is blowing my mind at the moment, Val. Yeah. It's just like, I, like just every couple of hours someone posts a new image that I'm going, mm. oh, my God, it's so good. And it's like, you know when Rexy or Rocky do something amazing and you're just like proud and it's better than yes. like eating Anything. a jar. This is the thing. It's like I don't even need to uh, binge on Nutella at night. I just jump in and check out what the guys in the amazing. gold community are doing. And I'm on a high for the rest of the week. It's amazing. I'm just blown uh, away. And, of course, the gold,
1: the gold community is Gina's membership community where it's just full of such incredibly wonderful, lovely people who are all interested in photography from all different walks of life at all different levels. So regardless of whether you're a newbie or you you are more experienced. This is such a wonderful nurturing group and Gina provides regular tutorials every single month, including um, screenshots of tutorials on how to use Lightroom, but also tutorials on how to shoot certain things. You get uh, exclusive Lightroom presets that are only for the gold community. Uh, Gina is able to critique your photos if you wanted to. There's also a live monthly mastermind where you can ask all of your questions. And if you can't make it, it's recorded for you. And, of course, there is an awesome Facebook group as well that is only for the members of the Gold community. And it's just, yeah, I'm just amazed at the talent in there. So um, if you want to find out more, then just go to ginamilitia.com and click on Join the Community and you'll find it. All right. And you'll find me if you want to connect uh, at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, I'm in the Facebook group as well. Thanks, much. much for listening everyone and we look forward to chatting to you again next time thanks guys
0: thanks for listening to so you want to be a photographer for more information free resources and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer visit ginamalisha.com